0: Hola mi gente, welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yangues. It has come to my attention that some people don't know what chisme means, so let me clarify. Chisme means gossip in Spanish. Now, there's all kinds of gossip, but in our particular case, when I say gossip, I mean the guests themselves get to spill the gossip on themselves and in their own words and on their own terms. I hope that clarifies. This week, my guest is my friend Luis Quiros. Luis is an immigrant from Guerrero, Mexico. Not only is he an immigrant, he's an undo- he was an undocumented immigrant who is now a DACA recipient. His parents left their home country in search of a better future for him and his siblings and settled in San Diego, California, where they have lived for all of Luis's childhood. I'm so grateful for Luis being so vulnerable throughout our time together. We discussed the reasons his parents immigrated to the U.S., how he realized his undocumented status would affect his life, how he came out to his mom as a gay man, and how he started his own business with undocumented status. There is so much that we unpack and discuss. It is worth every minute. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the Chisme. I mean, I wasn't going to say. I was gonna be-
1: <laughs> it's okay if you did, because I... <laughs> I triple booked. I'm not even kidding you. I triple booked. I had a check-in, I had a, a site visit, and then I had the podcast. And I'm like, all at 12. And I'm oh like, how gosh. did I... I just assumed my weekends are open and I just like add things on without looking at my calendar.
0: Right. But so. But, but like, how is everything going on over there? Like, I know when I was driving through, everything started when I was in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, How is everything right now?
1: So um, you saw the pictures going around social media on Tuesday when everything was, it was pitch black. Like, in the daytime, it was dark. Like, you had to have your house lights on during the day. Like, you couldn't see. And it was, like, a weird dark orange. It was weird. Um, From then on... The lighting got better, but the smoke got worse. Yesterday and today, it's like the worst air quality I've ever seen. Over two hundred and eighty particles in particulate matter, and um, that's at the very unhealthy level. So it's like good, moderate, unhealthy, very unhealthy. So we're at very unhealthy. Uh-huh. So it's crazy. There's ashes falling. um The cars have like a light dusting of ash. It's like it's not normal. I remember two years ago when it was a, a big deal that there was fires in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. One morning we got ashes in on the cars, and that was crazy. And now here we are with like three consecutive days of ash.
0: Yeah, and in bad air. San Diego we had you know there's a fire. Yeah. Um, but it's it's I think around thirty. 30- plus can 30% contained now but the first couple of days it was the same thing it was raining ash um, oh it was super I mean even now the sky is still not right It's, like hazy. it's the, yeah where the sun is like that orange color no. so yeah it's been I don't wanna say interesting because I don't that's not the right word. It's just been really crazy. I mean Surreal. our whole like our whole whole West Coast is on fire right now. But yeah. at least look and I get to see you. I get to see yeah. your wonderful face and mm. get to chat with you and everything. But you know, there's I've been wanting to do this since literally we met and I was just like, I love him. Oh,
1: yeah, we vibed. I really I really liked your energy. I was like, We're gonna we're gonna connect. We're gonna definitely stay connected. Yes. Yeah. Which we
0: have. Yeah. Because now yeah. I'm like, hey, Boo. Uh huh.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I just love you so much. But before oh. we get into all the Cheese and everything, we have to get to the wine. I drink everyone. And I know I told you you're able to drink or not drink. And I know you've been working. So I am actually drinking a thousand stories Zinfandel. The red wine, yeah. It's a bourbon barrel aged wine. So I've Mm. never had it before. It sounds, so this is what it says about it. It says, we release 1,000 stories Zinfandel in batches to reflect a unique mix of grape varieties, vineyards, and bourbon barrels. No two batches are the same. So this is batch number 56 that I'm drinking. Mm. Brimming, Brimming with robust, eager flavors, batch 54, grants a full range of stone, well, I'm not, I'm 56, so I don't know, 54. But it says, full range of stone fruit from candied apricot to bing cherry alongside luscious berries. The Come mid, on,
1: p- luscious berries.
0: Right? The palate, the mid palate reveals a sultry hint of grilled meats, plowed earth, star anise, and a hint of black cardamom. On the finish, our unique bourbon barrel aging process lent a bruleed caramel warmth to the wine, giving it greater depth and character.
1: Okay, well, Are you Are you
0: partaking with me today, Luis? You
1: know what? I still have a little work to do. I probably will later this evening. So I'll cheers with you in spirit, though.
0: Okay, but you'll be thinking of me when you drink later.
1: Absolutely.
0: Mmm. Oh, actually, I can really... D- now I need to smell it. I wish I would have smelled it before.
1: Mm, yeah, you can probably get that. Oh, I can almost smell yeah. it just from your description, that oak barrel.
0: Yes. This is definitely a different... Like, a, definitely a different flavor, and I'm really digging on it. But right. I'll be drinking it and sipping in it throughout the time that we're
1: Absolutely. talking. Absolutely.
0: But, dude, let's get into the chisme. Let's talk. I know, because, you, well, you've been doing, like, your little Saturday morning um, Instagram lives and everything, and obviously the more you've been doing it and the more you're talking, I'm like, this dude, I better get him on the podcast before he has nothing left to reveal. <laughs> <laughs> you are originally from guerrero mexico yes and you moved here when with your parents and siblings as -hmm. when you were a child so tell me a little bit about like how old you were when you when you guys moved the circumstances all of that and what specifically brought you to san diego
1: yeah so my family picked up uh, out of guerrero mexico which is where i was born uh, I was not even one year old. I was maybe, my mom says I was two months to six months. Like I can never get the the my age exactly, <laughs> but um, it was sometime between December, January that we came and I was born in October. So um, I've always just benchmarked it as January 1st, 1990. Although it was like, a, it could have been a little before, a little bit after, but mm-hmm. that was the, um, the migration. So we actually moved over from Guerrero, And it was me and my brother at the time, uh, my sibling, my sister wasn't born yet. Um, And yeah, and so we, I mean, from what I know, right, my parents were looking for better opportunities for us. They were really thinking of the future of their children, Um, you know, not that there is no future in Guerrero, because there is, you know, I still have cousins and, and other family members that are, you know, out there they're farmers or ranchers, and um, they just wanted something else for us Mm -hmm. and a different life. And I'm forever grateful for that because I've been able to, you know, graduate from high school, graduate from college and get an education, things that a lot of us take for granted, you know, here in the States that are not necessarily readily available um, to people uh, in Mexico. And so, Yeah, so I've lived here ever since, so I pretty much know no other home. San Francisco, I'm sorry, San Diego, California, it's my home, right? I moved to San Francisco later on for college, but I grew up in San Diego and um, California. I'm a California boy. And so, like I said, I know no other home. And so it's really disheartening to hear the rhetoric around you know go back to your country you know go back to your to you know to where you're from yeah I was born there but I have no other connection like it's not like I could just go tomorrow and just like pick up where I left off there's nowhere that I left off like this is this is my home here yeah
0: what made your parents choose San Diego of all places I mean because it's obviously the best choice but what was there what was the reason that they chose San Diego
1: there were already some relatives that had done the done the migration so they there was like um i think my my dad had a, a a younger brother that had already migrated and settled in san diego and we had like a they had like a cousin that moved up to like santa ana so the whole southern california being so close to the border also was also attractive uh cuz they wouldn't have to like you know, trek any uh, much further mm-hmm. once uh, settling in San Diego. So that was primarily why, and I'm so happy they did, because it's it's just one of the most beautiful cities, as you know, and the weather is perfect, almost perfect always. And that's one thing I do miss, living in the Bay Area now. It's like, we don't get beach days like you do down there in SoCal. Mm -hmm. So like, those are the one of the, I was a beach bum growing up. Like anytime we could, I'd be at the beach. And uh, I do miss that the most from not living in San Diego anymore.
0: So when your parents came, did they, were they documented or undocumented when they came across?
1: Yeah, they were not documented. So they crossed the border without inspection. And so, to them you know paperwork wasn't like top of mind they were looking to find a better future there was violence they were fleeing guerrero has one of the the highest migration patterns in mexico just because of the violence and it's only gotten worse so there was really no line right there's a lot of talk about get get in line get to the back of the line there was no way for them to do it one alternative was like Wait a few months, get a visa, and then extend your visa, which happens a lot.
0: Or overstay. Um, a lot of people overstay their visa and stuff.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so the the difference there is that you know they got permission in the first place, but then once you overstay, then you are accruing unlawful status, right? Right. So there, that was an approach, but they, you know, they, you know, they didn't take that route, and so there was no documentation per se. Um, I didn't have a birth certificate coming here. It's like, it was just, I just showed up. Right. And so obviously that's going to bring its own set of issues and problems as I got older and as it did. Um, But those are not the the immediate things that they were thinking of. They were just trying to get out and find a better future and escape violence and, um, you know, economic disparity and, they were thinking of the future not so much the short term but more the long term
0: right and i think people don't and I've, i know i've talked to other people about this previously but the cost associated with it is is very extreme it's it's not cheap to go through the you know proper ch- unquote quote, proper channels and if yeah. you're fleeing a situation that you don't you cannot safely keep your family away you know in anymore the, you're just like, let's just get out of here and let's just exactly, try yeah. and be safe and, and find a place where we can raise our family.
1: Exactly, right? Like looking for a lawyer and going through all those channels and paying for a lawyer, those are all luxuries that were not awarded to my family and they just they, didn't, they couldn't wait for that. Like you said, those were privileges that they just did not have.
0: So it's, I kind of have a two-part question from that because obviously that makes you, uh, that would make you a dreamer, right? Yeah. G- coming, g- growing up that term obviously came after you were here at what point did you figure out like what were your parents expectations from taking that risk what was their did the, your parents set expectations for you because they were taking this risk of of being undocumented and you not you and your brother not being documented and at what point did you realize that you weren't documented and things were going to be you're gonna, things were going to be different for you
1: you know, I I try to think back and, like, I can't pinpoint when I knew. Um, it was definitely early on. Like, I wasn't masked or masked from it or what do you call it? Not, that's not the right word. Um,
0: it wasn't hidden from you.
1: It wasn't hidden from me, but it also wasn't, like you know, yeah, it wasn't something discussed. And I think that's what it was. It was taboo. Like it's just, yeah, it is what it is. We don't talk about it. Like, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And, um,
0: As are so many things in our culture.
1: (laughs) As are so many things in our culture, right. We just don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Maybe it'll disappear. Maybe it just won't come up exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we just didn't speak of it. I knew I was because, uh, I knew that there was something up because, um, I wanted to join the swim team when i was in um like freshman year in high school and um, i was super stoked because there was a pool and like you could join the swim team and do swimming after school and so i went and tried to sign up and uh the first thing they sent you home with is like proof of insurance Right, you need to have health insurance um and so i was like all right mom let's you know where's my paperwork like let's get it and so I did not, first of all, I did not have health insurance and I didn't understand why. And then I was like, all right, well, then let's get health insurance. And then um, as I was, I did a lot of the the filling out of forms and I did a lot of the translating for my parents. And so I just was doing my research and trying to get myself insured. And it was impossible because I didn't have, uh, you know, proper identification. I didn't have a social security number. And I was like, what are all these things that I don't have? Like, where do I apply? And then I would would go on the social security administration and try to get an application for a social security number, not understanding, right. That my, um, that I ultimately was not going to be able to get any of these things. And so it was through trying to join the swim team that I discovered all the barriers that were going to be lying ahead in order to do simple things, join a swim team, get a driver's license, apply for scholarships, apply for college. Like uh, that, I think that was the beginning of, those hurdles I was going to have to jump and, uh, or, or figure out and, and navigate. So, I guess, long answer to your question I think I was like around freshman year that I kind of figured out, like, this is not going to be easy,
0: right? Knowing that, or maybe they didn't know that, what were their expectations of you like growing up here? Because obviously, they brought you and your brother here for a reason, right? So, were they very vocal about what those reasons were? They were like, Look, we came here to give you better, or we're Or (laughs) was it something that you just felt like you knew your parents came here, so you put the pressure on yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely pressure on my parents' side. Like, they were trying to push me more towards like, academic careers, like, I remember them saying, like, about looking into being a lawyer, like, my mom and dad were, like, por que no uh, investigas de ser abogado, or licenciado, they would call it licenciado, and I always drew more, uh, was drawn more to the arts, so, like, dance and performance and theater Mm -hmm. uh, was more my, my thing, and they never shut it down, like, they were super supportive, whatever I wanted to do, even though, like, their first choice would be, like, be a licenciado, like, they did not shun me or discourage me when i you know when i was pursuing the arts more and i loved that about my parents i did never felt there was a, a expectation i always felt supported and i think maybe that that has to do with with them that you know they didn't really have a choice they had to put food on the table that was number one priority and you know care for a family and they were young parents my mom got married at 15 years old and had her first child at 16 years old oh, wow. that's that's such a different lifestyle and, and you know just life that i think it was like a lot less pressure on their kids mm-hmm. uh, and so i definitely did not feel that although that's not the, that's not the same for all families you know I, I definitely know families that immigrant families in particular where there's a lot of pressure to be a doctor to be quote unquote you know successful with like yeah. a high career job
0: right so you were saying in your freshman year, it was kind of when you figured out all of these hurdles that were ahead. So when you decided to go to college, how did you approach that? Like what was, because uh, honestly, I grew up in San Diego. I grew this is where I was born. So I have not ever had to deal with that. I had dealt with my own mental hurdles, but like being a teenager is already hard enough. Then finding out like all of these things, like just even joining the swim team, like you said, is even more difficult. And then you want to do something beyond high school and you've realized for the last several years, it's not going to be so easy. So how did you approach that? And what was like, what was the, your laid out plan, so to speak?
1: You know, I was always the optimist. I always, I always, and still do always look for the bright side and look at the glass half full I think what really helped me during those early years in high school and like planning to go to college was the, um, I forget the name of the program, my apologies, but it's basically those programs that help you kind of navigate from high school to- Like AVID? Exactly. It was like AVID. It was a specific uh, partnership with SF, San Diego State and mm-hmm. my high school, Hoover High mm-hmm. School. And I forget what it was called, but some sort of like scholar program, right? Where they were like they're like encouraging you to to apply to to San Diego State and m- any state university. Actually, they weren't really pressing us on SDSU, although it was a SDSU program. Right. But the the faculty there, I remember two young ladies that were super helpful. And when they when I when I told them that I was you know undocumented, this wasn't going to be just like a a straight line kind of thing, they really helped as much as they could. There were not that many resources back then. This is 2005, 2006. This was before DREAMers were really thing. they were already advocating, however, for the DREAM Act back then. And it passed the state, the House, it it passed through Congress, but it did not pass the Senate. And um, they were, and by, by these faculty members, helping me like they were in tune with the news like they were like Luis congratulations like the Dream Act just passed the house like we were that much closer to it passing the senate like keep your keep your hopes up you know uh have faith and I was optimistic but it ended up like not working out but I think knowing that I had people supporting me knowing that there were scholarships available for folks without a social uh like i did my research like i really dug deep into uh fast web which was a scholarship site back in the day it might still be around and i just really had to dig around there was not as many resources as there are now i feel like uh undocumented folks are in much better shape today than um than back then it was just not as readily available there were no dream centers there was no support groups but I found it where I could and I w- if it weren't for them like it, I wouldn't I wouldn't have graduated and I wouldn't be probably where I'm at today
0: oh I know there's so many different things so I'm sure you're so grateful to be able to that you were able to do that so I'm grateful uh-huh. you that you're able to do that too because no. who knows where it would have led but either way it's led to us being friends Exactly. Uh, I want to kind of go back a little bit, just in regards to because you're an out gay man, mm-hmm. and especially being Latino, that can be a very precarious situation. What point did you realize, like you were, like you were, like okay, I'm gay? Because I always feel like, you know, my I've had a lot of friends who just, just they knew it, but they never wanted to admit it, especially being Latino because it's so there's just so much that goes along with that Mm -hmm. um and how long between you knowing this did it take for you to come out to your parents
1: I knew I was gay probably when I was four years old like (laughs) I was pretty in tune with who I was I was a I was sassy I was opinionated I uh not that that's equivalent of being gay but i just knew who i was like i knew me and so i knew i was different i probably didn't know i was gay Gay. i just knew that was something unique about me right mm-hmm. maybe and it, it was like during puberty that i kind of discovered that i was not attracted to girls but I like, knew that's I was...
0: not doing anything for me
1: yeah like i had girlfriends believe it or not in middle school i had like I well g- you're
0: so cute i Aww. could totally see girls like Oh, oh, Luis. Like, I could totally see over.
1: That. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. But, um...
0: You're like, oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, But I definitely, definitely called me, like, called my attention to, like, my my guy friends definitely called my more attention than my girlfriend. And so uh-huh. I was like, yeah, something's up. But I was definitely in tune with my... What I'm trying to say, like, I was definitely in tune with, with who I was and knowing that I was different. Mm-hmm. I didn't come out until after high school. So I was like, I guess closeted, right? Because I knew who I was and I was doing my thing, but I wasn't out to the world. I think I did come out to one, my best friend, when I was um, a junior in in high school. So I did come out to her. It wasn't until after high school, after my first year in college, that I came home uh, during a spring, spring break, and I um, finally came out to... My mom.
0: What and did you was, tell her?
1: What? Like, what, what did that? you
0: like? Yeah, like how was that yeah. coming out so to I was
1: 18. So I, I was finally 18 that spring, and I sat my mom down. I was with my siblings, so I was with Melly. Um, and we sat mom down and I was like, Melly, this is them, I'm gonna tell mom. And and Melly was like, Are you really? Like, oh my god, I wanna be there. And so <laughs> um and so I sat mom down, I remember it was nighttime and it, it was just mom home, my dad wasn't home. And I sat mom down on the couch and I was like, I have something very important to tell you. Like, I want you to know I'm not uh, who you, I'm probably not who you want me to be, but I am gay. Like, soy, soy gay. That's what I told her. And she paused for a moment. It was a very awkward and pause. In my mind, it was like, she's gonna hug me, she's gonna tell me she loves me and she doesn't care because I'm her son. Just those beautiful coming out stories you see on, the, on TV or you hear from other people. Right. And it was none of that. So it was like, it was definitely none of that. She, like I said, paused and kind of shook her head and said, don't tell your father. And that, my heart sank. Yeah. It was not what I expected. It's not what I hadn't imagined. It was not a tear jerky hugging moment. Mm-hmm. It was just, boom, don't tell your father. Like the shame, right? It was just right. instant shame. Like what else was I supposed to feel? I felt she was embarrassed of me and ashamed of me and uh, I just didn't feel good. It didn't go as planned, I guess you could say.
0: Because I think in that moment, you're hopeful, right? Like you said, you wanted, you were like thinking it was going to be like, it's okay. You're my son. I love you no matter what. In your head, you have this beautiful moment built up. And in reality, it's like a thud. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and um, it was a tough pill to swallow. And and then later she, you know, later on in the conversation, she said, you know, I'm going to pray for you, mijo. Like... You, God's going to send you a woman and you're going to have a family. Like, I just know it in my heart. And then it got into the religious talk, right? How it's a sin and I'm going to burn in hell, et cetera. And it just went south. Like it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't the perfect coming out story that, you know, I dreamt of to this day. I have not told my father. You have. I think he knows. Yeah. I mean, I'm his son and I, um, we don't, so my parents, it was just before college. My parents were separated, not by choice. My dad was actually deported. Uh, we haven't talked about that yet, but just to kind of uh, give context to this. So my dad was actually in Mexico. There were plans for him to to get a lawyer and try to come back. There were, you know, my mom was trying to do all that stuff. And so while he was away, we were still in contact on the phone to this day like I haven't seen him since he was deported that was over 10 years ago so he's been just out what of my life see? physically but but we speak uh, irregularly but once in a while there'll be a WhatsApp message from him that comes through right. or during my birthday like he'll call he does his best to call at least during well, you know once a year maybe twice a year during the holidays you know but it's not a typical family relationship you have with your parents yeah, I haven't told him and if I ever did I want to tell him face to face. I wouldn't want to text him or say it over the phone, you know. So I've struggled with that like when when is the right time. But like I said, I think he knows. It's not like it's a secret. I you know, if he did have a Facebook, he would see that I'm very happily in a relationship and that I'm very happily living my life and I'm not hiding anything. But I but I haven't phys- like verbally told him face to face.
0: How has your relationship with your mom evolved since you've come out?
1: You know what's funny? Just the other day, I posted a picture she's on Facebook my mom's on Facebook and I posted a picture of me and my partner and she called you just
0: celebrated an anniversary right you
1: just celebrated two years happy
0: anniversary boo
1: thank you thank you and she she saw the picture because she called me shortly after And she's like hi mijo I just wanted to see how you were doing I saw the picture of you and Marco congratulations she's like I was going to comment on it but my phone rang and then when I went back to the feed, I didn't see your picture anymore, which I don't know that it's fully true. I just don't think she wanted to publicly acknowledge, but the fact that she called me and personally acknowledged was a huge step. That was huge because I have to, we have never spoken about my relationships or my sexuality outside of me coming out. It's mm-hmm. never been said. And so fast forward to all this time where I'm like living my best life and, and posting online and she's never acknowledged it to this moment, that was really big.
0: Oh my gosh. I love hearing that because I think so many, again, I have not had to deal with it. So I don't even want to pretend, right. That I've had to have that struggle because I haven't. Yeah. So, but I, I have friends, you know, a lot of friends who have, and, and they've had really different instances. And I've had friends who they've struggled with their own kids Mm -hmm. and not knowing what to do because they're, raised believing this one thing and then sometimes I've looked at their kids I'm like how do you not know I knew as soon as I said hello to your child I knew (laughs) how do you not know
1: yeah (laughs) you know as soon as
0: they're like hey Miss Jessica and I'm like oh do they I'm thinking did your mom know did you (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: so true it's so true and there's nothing more beautiful than a parent that yes they they know and they're totally fine with it i have i've met friends that have their own kids and um uh, the you know they're a little more effeminate and uh or they just you know present differently to the world and what we're used to with our social gender norms yeah and it's beautiful when they're so accepting and, and it's like let them do their thing because i think there's nothing worse than telling your child to be someone else or to to man up, which I was told a lot growing up, that affects you psychologically. Like I've never felt macho enough. I've never felt like I was, you know, quote unquote, good enough. I've had, I've grown a lot to learn to love myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that no one else can belittle me in that that sense anymore. Acceptance from family is the last thing I need because I have only recently learned to accept myself if you join the journey, you're welcome to join. But uh, if you're not, I'm good.
0: That's so beautiful. Louise. seriously, I think it's, I've seen family struggle with that. I have uh, a cousin who has since passed. But I remember growing up, I always used to think like, I didn't know what gay was, right? When you're little, you're not sure what gay was, but I knew that Robert was different. Like I was like, there's something different about Robert. Not that I knew what it was. And he was probably like 13 years older than me. So it's not like we grew up together, but I knew that there was something. So when like everybody knew, everybody knew Robert was gay, but nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody wanted to say anything. And I'm like, who, like, who he is has not changed. Like, does it? It's so, and then I remember in seventh grade, there was another person who has since passed um, who ran the student store. And you knew, like, come on, if you went to the student store and Mike's telling you you need a Vogue before you can get something for the student store.
1: <laughs> come on, Mike.
0: Yeah, Come on, you know, you know. <laughs> so I can't even imagine the struggle that my cousin went through. Right, yeah. because it was always this secret, and nobody wanted to. And that's why I'm saying, like, we have something within our culture. We like to have all these secrets, and everybody knows everything,
1: but nobody, but nobody
0: says it. Me. Yeah, nobody talks about it. And you're like, how do you progress? Like, you say you want better for your kids, but if you don't say anything, how can things ever get better? It just continues in generational trauma over and over and over because nobody ever wants to talk about it. Exactly. Well, I think you're an amazing person, and I like. Obviously, we felt that instant connection, and that's. <laughs> I know I want to hug you right now so bad. I
1: know, I'm reaching for you. <laughs>
0: but I want to go kind of back when you were talking about your father being deported. Yeah. So, what were the circumstances around that, and how did that affect the whole family?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was rough. So, I was in college. This was my freshman year, 2007. I moved to San Francisco, like. I packed up and left the house. Uh, that was really hard. I'm like thinking back to, I remember exactly where I was, like the time of day, my friend came out in his U-Haul and I held my mom so, so tight. And I could just see the sadness in her eyes. Oh, it's making me choke up a little bit. And it was like, and then I drove off, right? We drove off into to the Bay and it was like, not even kidding you. Like that was what? That was late July, I moved to san francisco august september early september i get a phone call like i'm literally on my way to class and i get a phone call from my mom and she's like your dad was just arrested and i'm like what um it turns out my dad was like he made an illegal turn or something and got pulled over and the story goes there were drugs in his car I, my dad denies it. And I, you know, with police planting stuff and doing stuff, I don't know what to believe, but I want to believe my dad. I don't know what shady business was happening or like if he was targeted or, you know, I don't know. Right. And again, family just didn't talk about it. My mom did not want to talk about the the details. And I was 17 at the time. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. I just knew my mom was hurting. My dad was gone. Our bread, the main breadwinner, right. And he was locked up. So they took him to jail. They detained him. And then shortly after whatever charge, they released him to ICE. And so once he was in ICE custody, he was still locked up. And my mom spoke with lawyers and here I am trying to go to college and like my first semester and trying to do my thing. And, I'm, and I was seriously contemplating, like, do I move back? Do I drop out? It's like, is, do I need to go help mom? Do I need to get a job and like help support? Yeah. At this point, it was just um, Melly, my sibling and Uli was our older brother was living in Mexico at the time. So he was not, he was not um, there. So it was just my sibling and my, and my mom. And I how I I carried the weight of like, do I, like I said, do I drop out and do I go home or like what? After talking to friends, talking to my mom and like really dwelling about this, I decided to stay in college because like this is, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Like this was a big deal. So I chose to continue going to college. I worked and sent mom money, a couple hundred dollars whenever I could um, from like every, you know, a hundred bucks from each paycheck. And I just kind of carried on. And my dad star- struggled in detention, and in I detention and eventually was, uh, I think it was after like nine months, he was deported. And so again, don't know the full story. I know he made an illegal turn and then boom, um, st- uh, turned into ICE. And um I haven't seen my dad since then. So it's unfortunate circumstances. I don't know what to believe. Like, I get, you know, there's two sides to every story and then there's the truth. Right. So I don't know. I know both sides, but I don't know, you know, what really happened. But those were the circumstances under his deportation. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this as well. Additional layers that we don't have enough time for. If we have <laughs> oh, another,
0: I could only imagine. If
1: we have another wine and cheese, made, we can go into all that. Uh, cheese me. But yeah, I think my sibling is the strongest person I know and I say sibling I think to clarify to just for viewers um my sibling so I, my, my sibling was born my sister my younger sister and um they've recently come out to us as transmasculine and so out of respect for their pronouns it's them they theirs for for Meli
0: so and- question I don't know that's the first time I've heard transmasculine I'm yeah. not exactly sure what transmasculine is
1: yeah, I, to be honest, I'm not sure either. I think the way that they've explained to me, they're not, you know, they're not male, they're not female, they're trans, but they're not, as as far as this moment, like they're not interested in changing Gender, anything about their her, body. Yeah. yeah
0: like exactly. physical, like
1: physically they're not interested in changing, so their their identity their gender identity is trans masculine and so yeah, I think that was the first time I had heard of it too um, originally, but from what I understand is they're not interested in changing their their body currently, and so they identify as uh, more masculine trans masculine
0: gotcha yeah. yeah, and I have to look like literally, do some more research on that because there's always uh-huh. i feel like because gender really can be a very fluid you know it's almost like a fluid thing because Mm -hmm. body parts do not always match what you know people's identity within who they identify as yeah so one I think people are are understanding that more but there's Mm -hmm. still so much more but there's always different terms coming out within so many people so it's very hard I'm not gonna lie like I try feel I feel like I'm pretty educated but When you said that, I'm like, I have no idea. What is that?
1: It's constantly learning. And I think, like you said, it's, you know, we're getting better at it, but there's still so much more. Gender is so complex. It's a Mm. construct, right? It's not two. It's not male, female. Like you said, it doesn't always match up. Like people, you know, there's both femininity and masculinity in everybody. Yeah. Uh, in terms of literally like physiologically we have both hormones we you know men have estrogen and um and testosterone like it's it's a balance and it's not one or the other like it's a it's a spectrum right yeah that is something that i think a lot of us are still learning and i'm so proud of my sibling because of they're owning it like they've always known they're not you know their body's not who they are it doesn't represent who they are and so they Have done a lot of work on themselves and i'm so proud of the work they've done they've educated me so much and i think we have a long road ahead in terms of understanding all the complexities yeah and and for good reason because like i said it's not it's not binary it's not one or the other it it's really is a a fluid spectrum
0: yeah and if you identify as one thing in particular that's okay like i feel like people think that they're under attack because there's other things and it's this thing where you're like no 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 no, you're not under attack it's just knowing that there's other things outside there i identify as a female i identify you know like i don't i don't identify as a trans or as this or that i just identify as a female and guess what that's okay that i identify as female because that's how i feel but exactly. if I were to feel different, then that doesn't negate who you are. And I feel mm-hmm. like the people try and make that association, you exactly. know, just because somebody is something they're trying to negate who somebody else is. No, that just means we need to make room for others as well.
1: Exactly. Well said.
0: Um, you are... You went to school, you graduated, you decided to stay in San Francisco, and I'm so sad I didn't get a chance to see you when I was there. Things, no. But that's when the fire started, and that's when everything was getting cri- Oh my gosh, did I tell you? It took, like we drove from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, and I had my two nephews with me. Yeah. and. I mean, I don't have that in my car. I don't have where they re- you can recycle the air in your car. Oh, no. So I, every time I would turn on the AC, because it was getting warm, I would turn no. on the AC, and then you could just smell all the smoke coming oh, through. No. And then I'd have to turn it off to try, because we were getting it, trying to balance it to keep cool. No. And then also, oh, I didn't want us to breathe so much we smoke. Started. And finally, yeah. I had to tell my nephews. I was like, you guys, we're going to have to just be hot for a minute because... I don't want his breathing this air. Mm. Uh, And I know, you know, I was supposed to see another friend who lives in Oakland. We were going to go across the bridge and go have dinner with her. And, she was just like, the air is so bad, I'm getting a headache. And I was like, girl, it's okay, because I got a headache just driving around. So I'm so sad, but did, that won't be the last time I go to San Francisco. Oh, no,
1: we'll definitely see each other.
0: <laughs> but you will currently work with merchants along the Mission Street corridor in San Francisco. I
1: do. Yes, I do.
0: So tell, like, what is, first of all, What exactly do you do and what is the Mission Street Corridor? Because I'm not familiar with it. And I know if you're not in the San Francisco Bay area, that might not be something that you're familiar with.
1: Yeah. So the Mission Street Corridor runs along the Mission District, which is the Latino um, district here in San Francisco. And the corridor starts from uh, 16th Street all the way through 24th Street, pretty much. A little further, actually, down to Cesar Chavez. Um, But there's like... How many blocks in between? About ten, eight to ten blocks of uh, just shops, mom and pop shops, and so that's what's considered the Mission Street corridor. I um, prior to the pandemic starting um, and the shelter in place starting. I was working with the city of San Francisco. We launched a campaign called Mission Noteria to get folks out and about to discover new shops and um, visit mom and pops. We hosted events inside different venues um, down the Mission Street corridor and really tried to bring more foot traffic and just awareness of these small businesses because this small business is really the heart of a community. Yeah, And absolutely. so it really is and my mom was a merchant on university so this is why like it's so near and dear because i see how my mom worked so hard for her business and it was just her a lot of these folks don't have part-time workers or other workers it's them yeah and and they don't always at least my mom didn't have the tech savvy and the support for doing social media and for doing digital marketing and having a website and doing all that so my role with the city and um, now with my current position with one of the organizations in in the Mission District is to kind of help these businesses align with the digital marketing component of owning a business and try to amp up their social media and there's still a lot of work to be done Um, and a lot of those barriers however are you know digital barriers you know it's not always accessible to to everybody and after the pandemic you can just imagine like it's it's really taken a a big toll and we're really trying to ramp up efforts to keep our businesses because as things are progressing doors are shutting folks are not coming back and we don't want that so we want to change the trend so um i work heavily with with the mission street quarter i also have my own private clients that i work with throughout the city and it's it's a team of of me and a couple others Um, that I work with closely to create these campaigns and generate buzz online create content create these strategies for them Um, it's a lot of work and it is some of the most rewarding because when you really see the the rewards of your efforts Mm -hmm. it's what makes it all worth it
0: when you were first starting this were you finding people were being hesitant about participating or were they really excited or where, where did they fall within that
1: with the Mission Loteria campaign in particular? Yeah. yeah, it was definitely like, I who is this person? Who is this new person? Who is this new guy <laughs> talking about this lottery? Like, what are you talking about? It definitely took a while to, uh, um, to build trust, but I think as people started seeing my face more and recognizing that I was legit, it got a lot easier. But yeah, it was a little tough at first, and... I think that's the biggest thing, too, because these communities do get targeted for a lot of bad stuff, like not, uh, what do you call it? Uh, fraud, right? fraudulent activity, people that are not always looking in their best interest. So that's always a barrier to, to uh, overcome. But once we once I got through, it was definitely easy and easier and people started participating and um it's one of my favorite campaigns that i've done to date we're actually looking into re- revamping it now that businesses are starting to reopen businesses are doing outdoor service and things like that um it won't be back to its full event capacity and like live events things like that but we want to definitely pick it up so that folks remember that the mission is here the mission is open and people can do their business and support small businesses
0: So, for small businesses that are especially like mom and pop, especially businesses of color, particularly Latino businesses, because or Latinx businesses, because, um, like you said, they tend to be one per, it's usually the owner and maybe their kids or family Mm -hmm. or whatever. If somebody is looking for that or somebody wants to bring that, like say, my parents don't own a business, but say my parents did own a business and I wanted to bring this and say, Hey, you should do this. What are all we, what are the biggest hurdles that you've heard or the biggest.
1: The biggest challenges. Yeah.
0: Like w- when people are saying like, what is the the biggest obstacles that people see or that you've had to overcome to get people's buy-in and something of this? Because especially being like I'm kind of thinking also like it being like Barrio Logan, right? Yeah, exactly. And people are a little bit hesitant to jump into technology sometimes and to do these things. So, what are the biggest obstacles, and how do you usually sit, like, help get their buy in for that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The biggest challenge and the biggest obstacle is technology. A lot of these businesses, uh, the owners are, you know, not tech savvy. And so, to manage even though you know it sounds simple right launch a website like a one-page website with your contact information and do a couple of social media posts to some people that sounds super easy and to some it's so daunting and i think that's been the biggest challenge with this demographic is getting them comfortable with technology and you know that's definitely been the biggest challenge i'm not gonna lie and so um with my organization, we're bu- we're launching a digital literacy campaign to try to break down these walls and try to make it so it's not as anx- anxiety inducing and scary and really teach that it is as simple as taking a picture and uploading it and showing them exactly how to do it, the step by step. So um, we're working on a series of videos for for that in order to to share those and make it less, um, like I said, anxiety inducing for folks to not be scared of the internet. Yeah, I think that internet can be um, a, a big tool, especially for a small business. It's just kind of getting past those anxieties because it really does cause a lot of anxiety to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So that's been the biggest hurdle or people that just don't, uh, a lot of people don't have computers. So like, you know, designing a website, even though it's a simple website, like it can still be super daunting without, a desktop or a laptop right it's really those little things and so as a team of like one or you know with this with a small team with me like we can't possibly do it for everybody like we we do what we can little by little but it doesn't scale right we do need to teach these basic skills of computer literacy digital literacy so that we don't have that barrier to try to reach at scale
0: when I asked what your one word to describe your life was, you said resilience. Why are you looking at me like that? You're like, look at me like, uh. Who said that? <laughs> so tell me why did you choose that word, resilience?
1: That was hard. I remember I actually emailed you and I was like, girl, these questions are hard because (laughs) they're deep. (laughs) They're deep. They're deep. Yeah. Cause I I had to sit there and and think for a minute. Yeah. I chose resilient because earlier in the chat today, I said, I'm an optimist. I always look at things at the positive and I always see the glass half full and resilience. I think is a good word to just to sum things up because Despite everything that I've faced, and you know the the way that the odds looked in my favor, I've been able to overcome, and I've been able to to do what I want to do without without. I just had a total pause there. Um, it's okay, if
0: you think of the word, you can say it. That's yeah.
1: But but basically, what I'm trying to say is, you know, living undocumented, living as an out gay man, not necessarily accepted by my family going to college late i said i graduated from college but i don't think i mentioned it, it took me 10 years because i had to work part-time to uh, i had to go to school part-time to work full-time so i could pay my school as i went so i didn't accrue debt uh because i couldn't, because take you out couldn't i
0: was about to say because you couldn't get I loans
1: couldn't, right out. i didn't have access to credit like most folks usually do because i didn't have a social right that's that's what kind of starts your your uh, credit history, I had zero credit history. Nobody wanted to lend me a penny. And so despite all of these barriers, I've been able to start a business. An undocumented person starting a business? Like, what? That's wild. But no, it's uh, It's totally doable. And I encourage anyone out there that may be listening that's thinking about starting a business, go for it. You can. There's a lot of tools and resources out there. Can I pitch... Um, one of my favorites yes actually, immigrantsrising.org They actually just launched UndocuHustle, hustle and it's a series of webinars and workshops that teach you literally step by step how to open a business how to establish a business whether as an independent contractor an llc a corporation a partnership you name it they uh, they walk you through it they give you the pros and cons of each they show you examples of successful people that have done it Mm-hmm. And the reality is immigration law and business or tax law is two separate things. They don't, they don't care. As long as you're paying your taxes, they don't care what else is happening. Right. And so, uh, that was one of the realization that was like an aha moment for me during college that I was like, I can do this. And shortly after graduating was the, tw- I graduated in 2018. We had a presidential election in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. And- it was like I was getting close to graduating and I was like I, at the time I, I'm currently DACA as well so at the time I was I was also, about
0: to ask what your status was right
1: yeah now. so I'm currently so I was undocumented for most of my life and then it was like 2012 I want to say I first applied for my for DACA and I've had DACA ever since but with the election and as what we're seeing now they've cut the program in half so now you have to apply every year instead of a two-year program. It's and now, it's
0: what, $800 or something like yeah. that to apply or $600?
1: It's $500 okay. uh, to apply. Yeah, it's $800 for, for a green card. It's $500 for DACA. Mm. And it's now, it was for two years. Now it's $500 per year. So it basically doubled in price. And it's such a volatile thing. And it's so uncertain. I was like, screw that. Like, I'm not going to depend on y'all to make decisions for me i'm going to make a decision on my own and so in 2016 at the turn of the election i started my business while i was still in college i started very informally it was not a formal business but it was like a year later into it once i got my first client and i started like seeing this could be a real thing i formalized my business and immigrants rising was a huge resource for me and gave me the confidence and motivation to know that it was possible and uh, i encourage anybody that's thinking about it to Definitely check them out.
0: I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well, so people can click over.
1: But yeah, like I said, I'm an optimist. I look at the glass half full, and you tell me I can't do something, and I'll go out and do it. I Mm -hmm. think that's my biggest motivation. So that's why I listed that. My one word uh, would be resilience.
0: So you are on DACA status right now. So what happens? Like, what are your? Does that scare you at all? Does it scare you like? everything that's happening do you
1: what do you out it really does it stresses me out because it's like how are you supposed to plan with things constantly changing right right? the supreme court it was back in what was what month were we in it was
0: june was it june
1: June, right the supreme court announced, or early june the supreme court announced um that trump's end of daca was unconstitutional was like not not legal, Mm -hmm. but what did they, and to reinstate it, and then what did they do? Literally nothing. They've actually rejected new applications despite of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. They've rejected new applications. They've cut the program in half. They've increased, you know, they've kept the pricing the same instead of reducing the price as it should have, and it's it absolutely scares me. I'm very weary, and I do not trust this administration to do anything positive for for immigrants or for Dreamers, in particular, for DACA holders, and it just it stresses me out. And I feel for we're you know on DACA folks. We're a small percentage of the undocumented population. Right. We're stressed out, and we have a little a little something you know in front of us that they're dangling. But all eleven million, you know, ten million plus that are excluded from DACA. You know, I can't imagine what, what they're feeling. I have cousins in that situation. I have family in that situation. And I think they're my inspiration. Despite all that, they're continuing. You know, they're not buckling down. They're they're continuing and they're still working hard and they're, you know, they're keeping their chin up despite all the different attacks on uh, the immigrant community. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just happy that I have my own business to to rely back on, but it's it's definitely it's definitely stressful.
0: Yeah, I think so many people don't realize how you know we have our six degrees of separation, right? But mm-hmm. how many degrees away somebody really is from somebody who is undocumented? Yeah, because I mean, you don't I- realize that it's not like people are going to go around saying oh this or that because you just don't ever know who you're going to be around. But I think yeah. we and I say we as a general society are so judgmental, and we make these assumptions of what a quote-unquote undocumented immigrant looks like or anything like that, and you don't realize that the person you're working with could be undocumented, the person you're, you know, your neighbor could be undocumented, and you don't realize, you know, there there was all these people who were saying, oh, when when this administration first came in, they were only going to deport the bad, quote-unquote, bad hombres.
1: Uh-huh. Right. <laughs>
0: and then people that voted for Trump were getting people in their family. Like, right, I think it was that one lady, her husband got deported. Mm-hmm. And she, like, I thought it was going to be, like, you can't trust. You and so trust. I can't it's even okay, imagine the turmoil other. that's going on within.
1: Giant. It's it's wild. They'll, they'll say one thing and then do a whole nother. Like, it's just, you cannot trust trust this guy with anything yeah.
0: i know because you had an immigration attorney on your saturday morning i talks. did on
1: my woke me up just yes. tv cast yes
0: and one of the questions i because i knew i know and if you don't know daca is not a pathway to citizenship no so if a daca so if you want to become a citizen what would you you have to go back to mexico and apply yeah. I and do never even been I mean that's not even your home You've been, since before you were since you were only a few months old
1: that's the messed up part about this system right it's there's a system but it's so screwed up like it's not it's not possible to me for me to become a citizen mm-hmm. like legally it is not possible I have to leave the country and go what go where like I don't know Mexico mm-hmm. so in order for me to um do it the legal way, right? I'd have to leave this country, establish a home or a life in another country in Mexico, and then um, wait 10 years because I have the, what they call as unlawful entries. So in order to clear that, I have to prove I've been absent from this country for 10 years. Then I can petition uh, or submit an application that's now backlogged another 14 years, however long, to apply for citizenship and they're not currently they're not if you're on that list like you're not getting in period Mm -hmm. unless you have a direct connection like a a spouse or a a family member right it has to be a nuclear family member Mm -hmm. even if i were to get married right there's a big misconception Oh, just get married to a citizen no technically i still have to leave the country for 10 years and then come back through so there actually is no legal pathway for in my situation i speak for myself every immigration case is different and you should definitely seek a lawyer for your for advice on your specific case but in my case with unlawful entry i can get married to a citizen great but i'd still have to leave and then petition to get back in through my spouse, but there's no guarantee there, right? There's a, still mm-hmm. a 10-year bar. And so it depends on your lo- judge or your, um, yeah, it, it depends on the consular, right, whether or not they'll let you in and the, the immigration judge. And so it's, it's very arbitrary, and it's, it's not a direct path by any means. Yeah, so it's like there's just, there's just no way.
0: Well, I'm just going to tell anybody that's listening, you now know somebody If you didn't know, now you're listening to a story of somebody who is going and struggling through this. I think oftentimes we don't hear these stories. I can't say we, I've heard these stories, but I mean, just as a collective, we don't hear enough of these stories. And people, again, just have these assumptions of what either a DACA recipient is or an undocumented um, immigrant is, and they have no idea, like it could be, again, their neighbor, somebody they work with, whatever, whatever. And they're just not out there advertising it because of the situation we're just in such a precarious situation what do you hope because you think first of all thank you for just sharing so many like personal things with me today because I feel so much closer to you now and I like I said I just want to give you a big hug and I'm so sad that I didn't get to see you in the next I mean, oh, Guy, it's so hard to ask this question because you don't know. And that's so, but what are you hoping for your own future in the next couple of years?
1: Um, Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening. And I'm hoping that this story does get through to someone who maybe didn't know that they knew an undocumented person. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. (laughs) Um, But my future, what does it hold? What do I hope? Well, for starters, I hope that in November we elect biden and kamala i hope that that really helps heal the country from the division that we're in because i think currently there's we're not listening to each other right we're just Mm -hmm. kind of shouting one one side shouting to the other and there's no compromise no one's coming in the middle and that makes me sad yeah um and i really think that a change up in our democracy in our in our government is really what it's going to take uh we need a compassionate leader we need we need a woman in office and i think this is the team to do it vote how you vote but but vote you know i think it's important um and i think that's another important point vote for those who can't i cannot i was about
0: to say literally i swear you're reading my mind because i was like about to say you know when i vote i'm voting for
1: you thank you and I do do appreciate that because you're behind me there's 11 million other folks that can't vote and this is their home this is their livelihood this is their their country despite it being it, despite it feeling like you're not welcome here every time you turn on the news and every time you you see a a post about you know go back home go where you belong this you know go back to your country like this country doesn't want us but this is our only home this is our home and so by you voting for 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 me you're voting for all 11 million of us
0: man i just did my makeup (laughs) i'm crying
1: (laughs) but yeah it's so true jessica and i and i i'm so happy that you you caught that right because yeah it's it's important for us that that don't have a voice politically it's really unfortunate because we this is we live here this is our country, just as well, and for us to not have that voice, not have that power, and for somebody like you to, that has that privilege, and to know and to acknowledge it, right, and to and to cast it with that much more power, I think really speaks volumes.
0: Whew. that's a lot. <laughs> um, I want to kind of end on a really high note because you have with Instagram reels. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you are becoming your own little IG celebrity and you're cracking me up because the things that you post, if you need a laugh, I will make sure Luis gives his, you know, handles at the end, but I just need to stop crying. <laughs> um, and what you're, the things that you're sharing and the things that you're doing and the characters that you're putting together... Oh my gosh, I just die every time. I'm like, what is this boy putting on now? <laughs> what is he doing today? Yeah. When you have that wig on and you're like, it like bump into somebody and you're like, I said excuse me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: so much traffic from those things and you're you're they're hilarious. What prompted you to like start doing those? Because you were you weren't doing a lot of them, and now like you're like on it.
1: I was not. So I think what prompted me was Reels came out, right? Instagram launched Reels, which is like a copycat of TikTok.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: anytime there's something new, I know Instagram, you know, really wants you to use it. It's there for a reason, so it'll okay. favor it in the algorithm. So I was like, you know what? Let me give this a shot. And I wanted to post content that was so different from what I normally post, which is can be political, it can be educational, or it can be just a cute selfie. I wanted to be raw and and dirty and um and unkempt that's why those wigs are so nasty (laughs) um they are really nasty and more than anything I wanted to be goofy I think I intentionally wanted to to make people laugh because we are in such a dark time in in the world I mean California is on fire we're doing in a pandemic our our you know, presidency is, like, driving us down, you know, a hole. It's just, it's a very dark, very dark time. And I just want a little brightness in someone's day. And I feel like... I I that's my goal and I feel like I have achieved that. Thank you so much for watching my reels. <laughs> but that was that's the intention, right? I wanted to try something new, something a little different. It's it's not, you know, high production value by any means. I have a closet full of wigs because of Halloween and just all kinds of random occasions. And mm-hmm. so I was like, let's put these wigs to use. And so I just one day um I think my first reel I did the the tap, tap, tap in challenge with Saweetie and it got like a couple thousand views. And I was like, okay, like I'm onto something here. And then at the park with my friend, we did the whole bumping into each other video and I'm like, oops. And then he's like, excuse me, I said, oops. Uh, And that got over 20,000 views. And then like, it just started kind of picking up from there. And um, there's more reels coming. And so stay tuned, but I just wanted to make people smile, make people laugh, a little brightness in this dark time we're in.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you are definitely bringing that for sure. I need to, I have yet to use reels because I just, I get impatient, right? Because you have to do all like, and I'm just like,
1: It can be, t- be time-consuming and kind of taxing, but w- let me tell you, once you get your first, it took me like four or five to get the one that I was like, oh, this is it. But once you start getting, once you get to that one, however yeah. long it many takes, it takes, you start getting the hang of it. Just like anything, right? It just yeah. takes practice. But yeah, it is different. <laughs>
0: um, make, please make sure to give what your social handles are um, so yeah, people can yeah. follow you.
1: On Instagram, you can follow me at I am Luis Quiroz. And that's L-U-I-S-Q-U-I-R-O-Z. I I am Luis Quiroz. And on Instagram, you can also follow me from my business page at Trending Socials. That's Trending Socials with an S at the end. And that's my business account. Um, I'm not as active on that one because I'm so busy with my clients. But, oh my God, social media marketing world where we met. Remember Uh I asked um, our girl jasmine star i was like hey girl like i'm struggling with my content and she suggested that that i that i prioritize that so i have not put those that advice into action but right. follow me and i sure will
0: well jasmine star when i met her told me she was going when i told her the name of the podcast she was first she was like how did nobody ever have that before right and yeah. then she's like i'm gonna be your 100th guest Woo! So- I messaged her and I'm like, I'm this is like we're sixty away or whatever. Yeah. It was. I think I was like, just so you know. Duh. And what is something that because there's two last questions. Yes. one Is what is something that can make you smile no matter what? Oh.
1: Um. Besides
0: me, obviously.
1: Oh. <laughs> I think. Pugs, no matter what, a pug will brighten my day. Like, seriously, I have, I follow a couple pug accounts on Instagram and always puts a smile on my face.
0: So now I know if I just, if I see something, whatever, I could just text you a pug randomly. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and then we always start with wine and end with wine. So, what is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rose? Or do you have a, and do you have a specific label?
1: Mm, I love red I always default to red I just love the richness of it um but don't get me wrong I love me a rosé on a nice hot day It depends on the occasion but my default is definitely red mm-hmm. and I think Merlot it's my it's my go-to I like just the the um the density and the notes but I don't have a specific brand. And I I don't think I've, I have a sophisticated palette yet. Enough, sophisticated enough palette to be able to like really distinguish. I'm working on it. I'm Ditto, like... Ditto, I'm working mm-hmm. on it. But, but I think my go-to is Merlot. Yeah. Oh.
0: Luis, I love you so much. Thank you
1: you
0: so much for, like I said, sharing your story and being so vulnerable. And you made me cry. (laughs) Because
1: thank you for for having me. Right. And thank you for listening and giving a platform, you know, to really discuss these issues. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful and I'm so happy that I was able to be a guest on your show.
0: It took long enough, damn it. It did. It didn't really <laughs> But I love you. I will always love you. And muchísimas gracias, my friend. I love you, Boo. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Wine and Cheese My Podcast. For more information on Luis, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media accounts. Check out all things Wine & Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There you will find names of the wines that we drink by episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be the guest straight from there. You can also find us on Instagram at The Wine and Chisme and Facebook and LinkedIn at The Wine and Chisme Podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Those five-star ratings are always appreciated and positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.